When Rose and Ernie start dating, everything seems peachy. Soon, though, the other shoe, among other things, drops, and she has a decision to make. With help from her friends, Sophia, Blanche, and Dorothy, who are busy being concerned about Sophia's possible involvement in a mafia hit, Rose hears all the arguments. Stay with Ernie, show him patience and understanding, or dump him and find a man with the working ability to communicate. Will Rose and Ernie overcome this hard obstacle? Will Sophia get nailed for murder? Will Blanche and Dorothy ever leave the kitchen? All of that and more in today's episode, The Impotence of Being Earnest. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. The title's inspiration comes from Oscar Wilde's comedic play, The Importance of Being Earnest. It premiered back in 1895 and has continued to entertain in the form of plays, operas, films, and more. Coco and I would like to give you more detail as far as how the plot applies to this episode, but we are uncultured swine and neither of us have seen it, nor do we know the story. How dare you? I know all about this. <laughs> oh, please. Uh, it's a satire of, of 19th century Victorian society, and it's very witty. What paid, What website are you reading this off of? My mind. Oh, uh-huh. Britannica.com. <laughs> I know nothing of this. No, I did actually learn some of this play from a clip you're going to hear at some point during this episode uh, of Jim Varney. This ain't brain surgery. It's know what I mean, Vern. And it ain't that hey, Vern, dude. It's Ernest. P for power tools. Stone wall jacks in the world. Oh, Ernest, it's you. No, I'm not him, honestly. I just possess his devilish good look. Well, it seems I've learned the immeasurable importance of being Ernest. See you in the sequel. Know what I mean? <laughs> so I know plenty about the importance of being Ernest. And I love Oscar Wilde. You know what I know about Oscar Wilde what recently? Do you? What do you know? Is that there was a Jeopardy champion, kind of like a kind of a short-term Jeopardy champion, not just a few months ago, who had Oscar Wilde hair. And he was like an Oscar Wilde scholar. Do you mm -hmm. remember him? He did have beautiful, lustrous hair. <laughs> yes. Uh, and a thick British accent. And he was very smart. And Oscar he, Wilde or the Jeopardy contestant? The Jeopardy contestant <laughs> who seemed to have fashioned his life after the man. The one who so frequently says, know what I mean, Vern? Blanche, Sophia, and Dorothy are sitting at a not-often-seen card table with folding chairs. You know the kind. They have that vinyl top that somehow has stayed intact even though the table has been through dozens of game nights and hosted many a platter at a party. Ours was baby blue. In gin, the goal is to get a certain amount of points. The goal in hearts is to not get stuck with hearts, the suit. So with the exception of both being card games, they are pretty different. Poor Sophia is so distracted, she called out a win for the wrong game. 
Blanche, who is in an adorable sweatsuit of tealish blue and a cream stripe from the teats to the tummy, has to break the news to Sophia that they are not playing gin. Dorothy is on the fancier side, wearing khakis and a blouse of maybe leopard print and flowers. Just like last week, we are once again starting out with a very cranky Sophia, who is in her yellow and floral dress with a yellow cardigan. Luckily, this time it isn't related to gas. Unfortunately, her friend Mildred, who she had plans with, had to cancel, last minute even, because she had a heart attack, hence Sophia's irritability and annoyance. Ugh, so selfish of Mildred. Sophia doesn't need to be corrected about the game. She was calling out gin because she needs some booze to deal with a Saturday night at home with the girls. Holy cow, what the heck is Blanche doing home on a Saturday night? Coming in from the hallway, Rose has finally arrived. She is in an all-silk, all-very-muted pink skirt, blouse, and blazer. Seeking the approval of her housemates for her fashion choice, Blanche thinks it's nice and all, but kind of fancy for a game of hearts or gin. Well, Rose isn't playing either, as she has a date with a man that she met at the counseling center. She doesn't specify if he was a client or a doctor or a visitor, and we know she has a bad radar when it comes to men who date her as their mother-slash-assistant-slash-therapist. Mr. Terrific, anyone? Uh. <laughs> the only appropriate response. Blanche doesn't care about those details. She's too shaken by the fact that she doesn't have a date and Rose does. There are two occasions where Blanche will get overheated and have a shaky voice. One occasion is when she's talking about or to a man, especially if an old magnolia tree is involved. The other is when Rose has a date and she's devastated. Just devastated. Adjusting her collar, Blanche surmises there must be a better chance of getting struck by lightning while living inside of a house provided by American family publishers than for her to be dateless on a Saturday night and Rose not to be. Well, from statisticshowto.com, the odds of winning Publishers Clearinghouse, like their $5,000 a week for life prize, is 1 in 6.2 billion, or nearly the population of the entire Earth. But somebody's got to win, right? Wait, what was the, the Powerball one right now? Was it 1 in 292 million? It was the other day. It might be even the odds are probably worse now, bigger now. Like probably one in 500 or something, if I had to guess. I just can't believe the lottery odds are better than publishers clearing it. Right? <laughs> to get 5K a week for life. Oh, that is what a dream. Yeah. What a dream. You Please. just wouldn't have to worry about anything. Just about anything. Ever. Ever. Uh, a nice. A week? A week. <laughs> 20 grand believe, a month, so 10 after taxes. Make that. Oh, crazy. I know. Like with their job? <laughs> How the what? hell? What do you do with 20 grand a month? What do you do with the money? You have to just like... Well, people have kids. Well, and they also buy really stupid stuff. Like, I have to have the brand new car. I have to have the big boat. I have to the big house. The nah, 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 All of that. Guacamole on my burger. <laughs> That's four bucks. <laughs> you fancy. Now, you may have realized I said American Family Publishers for Ed McMahon, but Publishers Clearinghouse for the stats. Well, I've got some fun facts for you. A common Mandela Effect memory is that Ed McMahon was a spokesperson for Publishers Clearinghouse. He actually worked with the very similar American Family Publishers. 
They were known for selling magazine subscriptions along with sponsoring subscriptions. The company was frequently in hot water because they were, you know, a scam. American Family Publishers closed down in 1999, but PCH continues to thrive and allude to giving out prize money. Where can you win $1 million? American Family. $2 million? American Family. $10 million. Only from American Family. Three grand prizes, folks. You may already be the winner of $1 million, $2 million, even $10 million. I will personally start awarding these giant prizes just three months from now. So watch your mail for the envelope with my picture, $10 million, all for you. As for adding lightning to the equation, you have a 1 in 15,300 chance of being struck. Only 270 strikes happen in the U.S. annually with a surprising 90% survival rate. Can we combine lightning and the lottery to increase our odds? Meaning you buy a lottery ticket and whoever gets struck by lightning is the winner? I don't know what I mean. (laughs) You're the big picture guy. I don't think it was that. Oh, okay. (laughs) But it definitely involves getting struck by lightning and winning money and purchasing a ticket. You can't can't win if you don't play. (laughs) That's right. I'm no statistician, but one in 6.2 billion compounded by one in 15,300 divided by the square root and multiplied to the nth degree. Well, the odds are looking pretty low or high. I don't know math. So Blanche, as my dad would say, since this scenario of you not having a date and Rose having one is actually happening, the odds are 100 percent. Comforting as she sometimes is, Dorothy tells Blanche it's simply a fluke. Sophia thinks this is proof that the Pizza Hut bathrooms have been painted, alluding to Blanche's name and phone number being graffitically offered for a good time. While Rose, who has taken the time to get dolled up and is very excited about her date, is standing right in front of her, Blanche comforts herself the best way she knows how, by bullying saying that the only way this would make sense is if Rose's date was a mutant or a dummy or worse, an insurance salesman. Now that she's decided that her date is a loser, Blanche is feeling better, or at least is poorly pretending to be. And Dorothy thought she wouldn't take the news well. Before Rose leaves, she gives Sophia a letter from Sicily. Inside the envelope is a black feather from her cousin Vito, Right away, Dorothy knows there's some sort of hidden message attached to the feather, but Sophia denies it. No, 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 no. There's nothing. But Dorothy knows. There are codes for babies, a death in the family, even affairs. When Dorothy says a rabbit represents my husband knows, get out of town, Rose is lost at the nose part, which is always her trickiest subject. The nose really means he knows I'm cheating on him with you. Irritated at having to explain it, Dorothy tells Rose that the nose is in regard to the soundtrack of the Rodgers and Hammerstein 1949 musical drama, South Pacific. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair and send him on his way. Get the picture? As Rose busies herself with confusion, Sophia gets back to the feather. This must only mean that he wants a pillow for Christmas. With a shaky and stammering voice, Sophia promises there's nothing to be concerned about, a lie that isn't helped by her nearly jumping out of her chair when the doorbell rings. Ah! Almost as though she was expecting something bad to happen, 
not that she was concerned about the feather or anything. Perhaps we'll have hindsight at the end of this episode and agree that Sophia's reaction to the door was appropriate, because on the other side is Ernie. You've definitely seen Dick. I mean, Richard Hurd. That's right. His name is Dick Hurd. Maybe that's why he got hired for this episode. Anyway, he earned 156 credits in his just shy of 50-year career. Some of his more notable roles were in All the President's Men, Private Benjamin, T.J. Hooker, Seinfeld, Betty White's Off Their Rockers, The Mule, and as mad scientist Grandpa Armitage in Get Out. Hi, I'm Roman Armitage. And if you're watching this, you're probably wondering what's going on. There's no need to worry. Let's take a walk. Don't waste your strength. Don't try to fight it. You can't stop the inevitable. Behold. A coagula. Ernie Faber enters the home and is introduced to the girls. After polite greetings, he apologizes for his tardiness as he had been caught up in court. Ah, just as Blanche suspected. So, she has to ask, what crime Ernie had committed to have to be in court all evening? Well, the joke's on her. The brown-suited man is a corporate attorney, which earns a classic Blanche, damn, which is often confused with yum. While most friends, or maybe just me, would meet their friend's date and have a few questions to suss out any red flags as a gesture of love and protection, but then there's Blanche, who's trying to figure out what the loser quality is in Ernie that will make her feel okay with not having a date. Learning Ernie is divorced, Blanche assumes that it was due to him having an alcohol dependency, which he didn't, nor did he cheat. Before Blanche can get too personal, Sophia stops her, asking if this had become the land of personal and inappropriate questions a Barbara Walters special. Did she think you had talent? Did anybody think you had talent? Your stepfather didn't like you very much. No. Why didn't you have your nose fixed? Everybody must have said to you, have your nose fixed. Dolly, where I come from, would I have called you a hillbilly? My assistant asked me something, and I'm going to blame it on her because I wouldn't have had the nerve otherwise. Is it all you? Do you give your measurements? You don't have to look like this. You're very beautiful. You don't have to wear the blonde wigs. You don't have to wear the extreme clothes, right? You know the rumors that you're anorexic. All this time, Renee saw you as this um, not terribly attractive, awkward little girl with a great voice. But let's talk about the romance. That you are a little overweight. More than a little. Yeah. Yeah. The way that she passes the buck on the yep. question asking is repulsive. How it's, I'm going to ask this really inappropriate question, but it's because the people are asking. My assistant, it's my assistant who who really wanted to know this. Yeah. It's awful. The way that she, I mean, Courtney loves say what you will. Yeah. The way that she treated her was just awful. Yeah. Wow. And just how she pre presented it in this package of, Oh, I'm just a demure, socialite, well-educated woman, and I'm just here to talk to you about some things. I think it really showed her insecurities, especially when she was talking to Barbara Streisand oh, about her appearance. Yeah. I really got that feeling that she was like, she was, you know, bullying her yeah. and kind of bullying herself in a way. On one hand, she broke a lot of glass ceilings and talked to really important people and had really important interviews. And on the other hand, she was a tabloid scuzzbag piece of trash. Yeah, pioneers can be jerks too. That's right. 
If we've learned anything here today, it's that. As the happy couple take their leave, Blanche throws a full-on tantrum as she is incapable of having any joy when it doesn't revolve around her. Here's Rose leaving with a handsome, well-educated corporate lawyer, Ernie. Why, the only thing wrong with him is that he's going out with Rose. And who needs to deal with a man who has that kind of taste? Feeling better, Blanche leaves the table and the game of hearts with the smirk of mean girl satisfaction on her face. For Dorothy, this feels like living with Robin Givens. This felt like another shoehorned joke. I'm not sure if the reference is in regard to Blanche's hot and cold nature or her obsession with men or what. As for Robin, she was famous for playing Darlene on the ABC sitcom Head of the Class from 1986 to 1991. She may have been even more famous, though, for her volatile marriage to boxer Mike Tyson. He was abusive to her, and their dramatic divorce grabbed all of the tabloid headlines in 1988. She continued her acting career, appearing in Boomerang, The Game, Tyler Perry's House of Pain, Chuck, Riverdale, Batwoman, and she even released an autobiography and was the spokesperson for the National Domestic Hotline. Speaking of rude Barbara Walters interviews... Robin, some of the things that we've read, that he's hit you, that he's chased you and your mother around and... That Mike has a very volatile temper. True? Extremely volatile temper. I think people see that about every three months. He is, he's got a side to him that's scary. There are times when, or there were times that it happened when I thought I was, I could handle it, you know. And just recently I've become afraid. I mean, very, very much afraid. I think for the first time I can understand abused women because what happens is, or, or people, you know, you say, why do you stay in there? Well, number one, you love the person, and number two, you get accustomed to being treated poorly. So every day, behavior that you would normally not accept becomes everyday behavior. And I woke up and I said, I don't deserve this. I never had this in my life before, and I'm not going to tolerate this. It's something that he's had for a very long time. It went untreated, therefore it got worse. It's something that the doctor says gets worse in your 20s. Why do you think this is that nobody saw it before? It, it, it's not a bad boy when they occur too often. So why wasn't it treated? Because I think he did very well in the ring. I think he did exceptionally well in the ring. And the way that they chose to handle it was to keep him in the ring. Barbara asking Robin while she's sitting next to Mike Tyson if he's abusive mm-hmm. was setting her up to be killed. Because she could have been like, no, not at all, which he obviously was. And then she's honest about it and says, and now he's like being outed as an abuser on national television. As soon as the crew left, he could have beaten her to death. He could have killed her in the moment. I watched. Oh, yeah. I watched. He could have like mentally. He wanted to. Yeah. I watched it for uh, to record the the clips Mm -hmm. from it. And I don't know if it's for the whole time, but for a good portion of that interview, he has his hand like around her the back of her neck mm-hmm. and it, and he's like Barbara comments that like oh he look he's like even now he's like you know comforting you or something mm-hmm. like that and like no, no that is not what that is that's a threat. He's saying I could rip your head off right yeah. now yeah be careful what you say yeah you can say so much mm-hmm. what was the context of the joke that made Sophia say that it was when Blanche changed her mind about Rose, mm. where she was like, oh, Ernie sucks because he's dating Rose. So obviously, like, that's his fault. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, yay. And then 
walked off. I wonder, well, I, I didn't watch the entire interview. I watched that portion of it, which is like eight, 12 minutes. Yeah. So I don't know if the beginning of the interview started out like a regular glowing sort of Barbara Walters thing. And then well, and when I also, they got into it. I or if it's that. alluding to like, and, and I'm not well versed in what their relationship was, but maybe it's alluding to Robin going back to Mike Tyson. Because oh, I yeah. feel like it was kind of publicly known and she had been seen with black eyes and stuff like that. So I wonder if it's that, which if it is, is in horrible taste and is a full on oh boy joke. Uh, yeah. Bringing it up, bringing them up at all is. is in Oh, yeah. Especially at that taste. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and oh boy. Yeah. That does make sense that, that at that time, a joke like that would be. Oh, made. yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So a black took, woman who's oh, yeah. getting her life beaten out of her by this guy. Yeah. And to just fully victim blame. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. Or laugh about it. Yeah, exactly. Awful. Very 80s. Uh, is Barbara Walters still alive? Uh, yeah, no, she passed away, I believe, at the start of this year. Oh, well, I hope I hope she likes the view. <laughs> Fast forward to several weeks later, Blanche in a flowy yellow blouse and Dorothy in her "It's not a pink bathrobe, but looks like a pink bathrobe" jacket are both sitting at the table when a very anxious Sophia in a periwinkle house dress has come scampering in. Before she even says good morning, we get the treat of her closing the kitchen drapes, which I don't believe has ever happened. Sitting down with the girls, Sophia is pretending to be calm, but she's not doing a very good job at it. Ever since that feather arrived, she's been on her toes, checking every corner for something. Every corner except the broom closet. Before she can go check it, Dorothy grabs her and has her sit down. But Blanche is on Sophia's side. She knows from personal experience that the broom closet has room for two full adults and a medium-sized cold-cut platter. Sophia finally comes clean. The feather is about the Venuccio Vendetta. Sophia's grandfather was run over by a Venuccio milk wagon. Sure, he was already dead, but because of the gravedigger strike, he was being used as a temporary scarecrow before he fell over and he became a milk truck speed bump. Blanche is confused as to how a dead man falling over and being accidentally run over means anyone is to blame. Well, this isn't the classic American arbitration program, the People's Court, which ran from 1981 to 1993, then again from 1997 to 2023. Now, personally, I was always a Wapner girl, but there is no denying the stunner that is Judge Marilyn Millian. You make this purchase. It's supposed to be a happy day in your life. This is like financial security for you for quite some time. And instead, you gotta you gotta jerk around with this for the next year. Watch yourself, okay? Your Honor. Get out of my courtroom. Get a pleasure. Out. A pleasure. Out. Thank you. Out. No, oh no, he's not moving fast enough, Douglas. If Douglas touches out. me, you will not be happy, Your Honor. I, you know what? If Douglas beats you to a pulp, I'll be delighted. Get out. Were you ever a court? TV viewer, not court TV, but court television. My sister was really into people's court uh, when she was a, a late teenager, I guess, a 17 or so. So I did I did watch a lot of that stuff. I did watch some Wapner. I loved people's court and I miss. Well, I miss Rusty. Oh, Rusty. And Doug Llewellyn, was he the guy? In oh, the, yeah. In the, and he in came the, back in, in the, the later hall. years. Yeah, I liked him. He seemed like a real jerk. Yes. And he would. He was so great at cutting people off. Yes. Loved it. Just uh, he was so casual, too. He was never uh, he was never emotive about it, but he was like a human eye roll. And he would just turn back and go, well, there you have it. They don't think they did anything wrong. 
It's great. I loved People's Court. And of course, the original People's Court music is one of the oh one yeah. of the hottest TV theme bangers of all time. And then the typewriter, oh. defendant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was very satisfying sound. Mm-hmm. They filed a countersuit for seven hundred dollars. It's kind of <laughs> similar to the love connection sound when they would yeah. when they would type out their names. Oh my god! Totally. Our next guest is originally from Danville, Illinois. He enjoys cold beer and hot music. Says that uh, he and his mom don't see eye to eye on his love life, and he claims that his job has cost him several relationships. Please welcome Robert. Fa- is rather an odd name. Yeah, you know, it is an odd name. Nowadays, the only surviving Venuccio is Sonny. And the feather? Well, that means that Sonny is in Miami. Now Sophia must take care of him. Sophia doesn't really care if Dorothy believes her mother will become a temporary hit woman for her Sicilian family. She has to take care of this guy. Otherwise, she'll be the one wearing cement shoes on a lake-bottom tour. She'll be the one feeding the gators at the farm. It'll be her that learns barrels can be used for more than holding laughs. Did I make that clear? She thinks that the family's going to kill her. Blue in both her mood and dress is Rose, who has arrived in the kitchen. Yes, she's depressed, and yes, it's about Ernie. Still looking for reasons to quell her jealousy, Blanche decides Ernie's embarrassing quality is his bedroom performance. As excited as Blanche is to hear about it, Rose has no experience to speak of. This is because they've yet to sleep together. For Rose, not getting it is a bummer. For Sophia, it's a joke. For Blanche, it's a shock. How can you be dating this guy for like a month and you haven't had sex? This isn't because they aren't into each other, or at least Rose hopes that that's not the case. But Ernie hasn't even tried to instigate intimacy in any fashion except for the dinner date they went on when he was rummaging for his napkin under the table, but she thought, ever so briefly, he was trying to get a little fresh. For Blanche, waiting over a month is unheard of, but maybe that was what Rose was wanting, which was okay. Sex isn't about rules, it's about communication. Here she is, waiting for him to do something, but she's also a victim of the culture of her childhood, that women shouldn't want or talk about sex. It'll just happen. If, say, by the third date she was wanting to have sex, in today's world it would be more than reasonable, if not expected, that she would communicate that with Ernie. Then he could have shared his needs and expectations. But what am I saying? I guess the 80s were more accurate, and it's better that Rose is suffering in a confused silence. From OneCondoms.com, a study from 2014, which, you know, is basically ancient by now, showed that about 50% of people in a relationship had waited a few weeks to have sex. 35% had sex the first date or within a couple of dates. In 2017, a study showed that men usually waited five dates and women waited closer to nine. I'm sorry for the lack of diversity from these hetero-based numbers. However, I think it illustrates that hours spent or dates gone on don't matter. Consent and communication do, honey. Blanche's biggest concern for Rose is what the hell the two of them have been doing on their dates. Talking? 
Yes, Dorothy jumps in, because you can talk to someone about more than just getting a hanger for your pants. Rose has appreciated that Ernie isn't a horn dog. He's a gentleman. He's kind. He's lovely. And she thinks that she might be in love with him. Love him when you haven't done anything and he doesn't acknowledge it? No, 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 no. I'm with Blanche on this one. Offering some advice in the area she knows best, Blanche tells Rose that she needs to try to get Ernie horny, get him fired up. Knowing that Blanche is the Fantastic Four comic book and movie hero, The Human Torch, as far as firing up a man goes, Sophia thinks that that's actually pretty good advice. Offering more demure advice, Dorothy tells her to trust the love she has for Ernie, and eventually things will work out, says the woman who married Stanley. Back to the human torch. Instead of waiting, choose one of the hundreds of ways to seduce a man. Imagine owning the world's greatest ways to seduce a man by the greatest slut of our time. In a -a once-in-a-lifetime collection, 50-year-old Mattress Company presents the ultimate seduction collection. Hundreds, maybe thousands of beautiful tips and tricks all by our favorite trash. There's... I'm from the South. Flirting is part of my heritage. The classic. I am Blanche Devereaux, and these are my roommates, Dorothy and Rose. They're innocent. I'm not. Unforgettable. Oh, my, 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 my. Ever quotable. Oh, I just don't know how to thank you, officer, but I would like to try. I'm usually at Wally's for happy hour on Tuesdays. Forever ingrained in our minds. Who wants to be the first one to spank me? And who could forget? Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go take a long, hot, steamy bath with just enough water to barely cover my perky bosom. Get the Ultimate Seductions Collection on two cassettes for only $29.99. Call today. Sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night just sweating and screaming and clawing like a trapped panther. All that manliness in one room, in one crowded room, in one hot, crowded room. Blanche starts out by suggesting that Rose should mention maybe they take a weekend away. This makes Rose uneasy as they haven't even held hands. Rose, this man has way too many affection hang-ups or doesn't share the same physical love language you crave. You need to get out while the getting's good. However, Dorothy actually agrees with Blanche. Maybe this seems like a big step, but this effort will get her the answers that she's seeking, and Ernie's communication is not providing. Speaking of, Ernie is at the door ringing the bell. Rose is too nervous to answer the door because she'll have to be forward and direct with Ernie. But asking for what you want is as easy as riding a bike, if you've ever ridden one, which of course Rose has not. Bringing the metaphor down to Rose's level, Dorothy says it's as easy as falling off of a bike, which Rose can definitely relate to. Coming in hot, Ernie doesn't even wait to be invited inside because he's in a hurry. Something has come up at work and he needs to take a rain check for their date. Well, this is actually good timing for Rose, who almost asks about taking a trip. But before she can, Ernie offers to do the same. She is nearly in shock, but delighted that she didn't have to take the lead. And she's also excited at the prospect of an overnight date, which maybe implies that they'll be having a slumber party without the slumber, if you know what I mean. Hearing Ernie leave, the girls, who have been eavesdropping at the door, help themselves to the living room to congratulate her on the trip, relationship, and hopefully, Nookie. 
technically, the girls weren't eavesdropping. They just made Sophia turn her hearing aid up all the way so that she could report back to them what was going on. Because when that baby is maxed out, she can hear a bird fart 30 miles away. Just hearing her mother mention breaking wind causes Dorothy to recoil in disgust. Ooh, we've got a new, beautiful location. It's a fancy hotel with a less fancy interior. There's wicker, bamboo, and wheat. Oh my, their hotel looks tan. And as the couple enjoys some champagne, Ernie awkwardly tells Rose how much fun he has with her. Rose agrees. She hasn't had this much fun since she was 10. Out of habit or perhaps training, she stops there as she's used to being begged by the girls to shut up right about that time. Anyway, since she's allowed to go on, when she was 10, she would go to the movies every Saturday. The issue being that their little theater had been set up for silent pictures and they never put in a sound system. So they had to hire a teacher from the school to read the lips of the actors. She did all right, although she did struggle to read Rosebud on the lips of Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, mistakenly calling out rowboat. The laughter from that story causes both of them to put their walls down and they find themselves touching hands. When Ernie realizes what he's doing, he pulls away. Cute. (laughs) Standing up, he makes his confession. While he had hoped getting out of town and the setting of a hotel room would help, it hasn't. He's, well, impotent. Which seemed like a missed opportunity for a joke response from Rose, maybe not understanding what that word meant. To, I'm impotent, she could have said, no, you're quite smart. Or, what, I thought you were Catholic. Or, I don't care about how you get around, I like you for you. Instead, she knows that impotent means that Ernie cannot get an erection. With that, she tosses the rest of her champagne over her shoulder, there's no need for loosening up now, and suggests they go to a movie. Ernie was not the first case of ED or erectile dysfunction to appear on television, but it was still way before we were watching Wiener commercials while eating our breakfast. Famously, Trey from Sex and the City had the same issue in the early 2000s. With some clients, I found it often helps to create your own non-threatening language with which to talk about sex. How about um, Schooner? One client rather whimsically dubbed his anus the chocolate starfish. (laughs) Are you quite sure you went to Yale? Then there was the ever-sexy, even though he was out of commission, Hawkeye on M.A.S.H. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm impotent. Uh Uh-huh. I think I see your problem. You've got to learn to unwind, son. If it's any comfort to you, I had the same problem in World War I. And you get over it? Mm Mm-hmm. But not until World War II. Which I thought was pretty cool, because I've not... I mean, I've probably seen every episode just by proxy... But he was always the hunky dreamboat sexy guy. And so for him to be like, oh, yeah, actually, the war is damaging me emotionally. And now I'm having issues was pretty cool. I mean, it's awful, but cool that they talked about it. It was very surprising that I'm sure a show like run by men and acted by men and written by men. It's very surprising that that was a plot that they wanted to put out there. Yeah. And and that it's handled in such a cool way that what's his name? The colonel is like. Oh, yeah, that happened to me. It's normal. And uh, spoilers for that episode of MASH, at the very end, Hawkeye goes off with a lady, and it's just presumed <laughs> by me going to, uh, they're going to MASH. It's more than understandable that Ernie would be shy or embarrassed by this issue, 
But if he had brought it up sooner, pun intended, they could have made sexier plans for the weekend to just connect with each other without the pressure. And hey, I get it. He would have to wait 13 years for the first little blue pill to be available to help him. So this wasn't like the easiest hurdle to pass. While Rose is dealing with all of that, the girls are dealing with Sophia, who in her plaid multicolored, but mostly the theme of Easter pinks and blues dress, is on the phone to the Venuccio home. Dorothy in a dark gray turtleneck over a gray or light blue sweater and Blanche, who is in a nearly matching yellow outfit from a few days prior, are surprised to find her calling Sunny. Realizing that she has called the right number, Sophia hangs up, but the girls have had it with this vendetta crap. Sophia doesn't care. Doing what her family asks of her is in her blood, and there's nothing she can do about it, except get a ride from Dorothy to go to confession. The weekend getaway has ended, and Rose is home wearing a cream silk robe. Sitting with the girls at the table, they beg to hear not just the details, but like every single word and graphic details. Settle down, Blanche. Well, Rose starts. Ernie said I was beautiful, which earns coos from the girls. Then he said she was fun to be around. Their smiles and awe grow. And then he said he couldn't get it up. Earning an all-time great sour face from Dorothy and a chorus of... I can speak this language and interpret that to be not an ew of gross, but an ew of, damn, that sucks. And, oh no, yikes, that's a really crappy situation. It's that kind of noise. While Blanche would want him to prove it, Dorothy wants Rose to talk about it because that's what friends are for. It is nice, though, now that there are some real issues with the relationship, that Blanche's first reaction wasn't to celebrate that something was wrong with Rose's date. Instead, she claims to have never complained about sex to them. What's funny here is I literally had this exact conversation just a few days ago with a friend of mine. She hasn't dated or done any related behaviors, if you will, in literal years. So now that she's in her 40s, she was shocked when the guy that she tried to hook up with couldn't perform. I told her it was normal and, like Dorothy, felt most people who deal with penises in that regard had encountered that situation. Actually, here's the verbatim conversation between Coco, myself, and our friend. Coco, did you get your f*** on? Friend, ugh, I tried. There were execution issues. Me, gasp. Oh, well, duh. Friend, I've literally never had that happen before. It was disappointing. Me, was he not prepared? Pop a pill? Friend, not sure. He said he was nervous and in his head. Shrug. Me. That's been happening to dudes our age for a decade. Friend, how depressing. Me, he can't make it a thing or it will never happen. Friend, nah, we had a good time despite. Me, no, he just needs to pill and chill. Literally happens all the time. Was he at least cool about it? Sorry it didn't work out. Friend, I could tell he was upset, but honestly, it was fine, so I hope he doesn't dwell. He did, of course, already bring it up today. In the end, I assured her, if he hasn't been dating since his divorce, which ended due to his wife's infidelity, then like, yeah, of course this was going to happen. I sent her a link for Blue Chew so she could get a prescription delivered to her house discreetly. Before Coco, I was dating for plenty of years. Of all my boyfriends or boys for fun friends, I did the math and 40% of the men I was with 
either had issues in this department or took medication to manage it. And those were just the ones that were honest about it. If you need to take the pill, just take the pill. Just take the pill. Sometimes Coco needs the pill. Coco takes a pill. Coco blues and chews. Yeah. And then he screws. <laughs> and I promise you, I did not think of that before. That's amazing. That, thank you. You just blue, you chew, you screw. It's not that difficult. And it's not a big deal. And it doesn't make you less of anything. Yeah. If anyone who's listening is hesitant about that, the result is a sight to behold. <laughs> make you feel like you're, uh, you know, young. <laughs> <laughs> Take me back to the days. Oh, boy. From someone on the other end of that. <laughs> The more of a deal you make it, like my worst experience now, granted, this was a very unhealthy relationship with a very not good partner. He made it such a big deal, but also kind of wouldn't talk about it and wouldn't do anything else and wouldn't work through whatever the issue was that it led to a really it it added to the unhealthiness of the relationship. I felt I had no say in my own pleasure or satisfaction which then led to like lack of consent and moments of like, no, thank you. But it didn't matter because that was happening. And it's just like it was so much worse. It wasn't even about it not working. It was just so much worse that it was this secret, not even a secret, but this like hidden shame that he held on to and we could not dissect it. And it was just this elephant that was suffocating us. And it wasn't about sex. It wasn't like, oh, we've only had sex three times in a year. And that's why we have problems. It was like, we're not communicating and your needs are the only ones that matter. That's the problem. Just talk about it. You've had a couple of beers. Yeah. You ate too much. Yeah. You're you're anxious about something. You flew in a plane maybe. I don't know. (laughs) You got scared. You're tired. You are out of a serious relationship and now having just a fun thing. Yeah, you haven't haven't been with someone for a very long time. Someone else. You're stressed about work. You're emotional about family stuff. Like a hundred million things. If you are a recipient yeah. of a penis mm. in any in any way. Christmas time. <laughs> when it comes to sex, not everyone has a mechanism that needs to function. So I think having some patience and understanding in that regard is also important. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it for does. like for me to find pleasure, okay, if things aren't working, then you grab lubricant or something or a toy or a whatever. Yeah, we have the ability it to, happens. to keep it going. Yeah, and for a penis-having person, if that's not working, that's kind of like the whole show. So I think having some understanding of that as well might be helpful. Get me a pill or get me a popsicle stick and some tape. <laughs> I'll splint this, baby. I don't care. I'm doing this. <laughs> When did that start for you that you were first having issues? Mm, I would say probably about nine years ago, eight or nine years ago. Was there anything in particular that you felt triggered it or like started? Uh, I think it was uh, smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, and I was uh, a lot heavier than I am now. I I probably lost 40, 40 pounds from that. So those things all helped. Yeah. And also, um, uh, doing mental health work, being in counseling therapy, um, 
that that also helped uh, when I when I when I started that years ago. So yeah, those things. Don't be afraid. If your partner makes you feel bad about it, kick them. Yeah, out. Don't yeah. kick them. Don't kick them. Kick them away from your life. Yeah, because it is. It is. Um, when it when it when that first becomes a problem, it's it is there is some shame, but knowing that that there's access to all those medications, everything out there. For me, at least, I know that it's everyone is a lot of people experience this. And also, if you want, no one has to know about it. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. why I said 40 percent that I knew of. Mm -hmm. I don't know who was popping pills ahead of time They're or pill. everyone's popping pills. Yeah. Did you ever encounter anyone that was a jerk about it? No, no, it was really, oh, no, it was just with, I was in a relationship at the time. So the person, and it was a new relationship when that happened, you know, it was like when we first kind of got together and we just had to talk about it. Like, hey, what, you know, right, what, what's up with that sort of? And I, I was like, oh, and they were like, hey, go, you know, maybe go to the doctor, fix that. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that. And I did it. Boom. That's the same too. Like you're saying, if the other person will just communicate. That's it. And be nice to you. And then it's also on the person experiencing it. As long as you talk about it and you're not earning about it. Yeah. Because no one's no one's thrilled about that. Right. But you can work on it. And I can imagine back then when they didn't have pills. I don't know what people had to do. You know, Dorothy jokes about helping Stanley through a time of that. But like, if that just started happening, that was kind of it. It can be a passing thing, but it can also just be that's done in right. your body unless you get help. Yeah. So. so it's okay, guys. And if you aren't talking about it, that's a jerk move. You just got to talk to your partner about it. And if your partner is a jerk about it, that's a jerk move. That's not a good partner. And truly, like the process for getting the medication is a online thing and a telehealth appointment. I don't even think I looked at another person. Yeah. And and they're they're here now. For women, there are other things. Or for female-bodied people, there are other things like, if you've had given birth or you're on your period or you have endometriosis, all these things. And I had my situation, Coco, where we were kind of forced into celibacy for a little over a year. And it was a similar, kind of similar thing as far as just needing to express our needs and who was capable of doing what. And yeah, it was a, it was a difficult time. But I mean, we were lucky that we can talk to each other about anything. Yeah. Yeah. If I felt uncomfortable sharing anything with my partner while I was going through that, I don't know that it would have worked. <laughs> and also, if you're if you're talking long term, if you're like, oh, I could I could marry this person. Oh, I could be together forever. You think that stuff's working at 90? Well, Come on now. Well, ask my Pacino. ask my grandpa. But still. Just saying odds are with time. It's not meant to do that forever. <laughs> That's right. Good talk. Thank you for sharing all You're that. You're welcome. Coco. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it because it's, it's, uh, it shouldn't be stigmatized. Yeah. As so many things shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, we have it pretty easy, though. That's true. Because we get all the money for the medical stuff. <laughs> the men. <laughs> the men in the room. That's right. I like that this is happening and the doctors are like, we must fix this. And meanwhile, any woman with endometriosis is like, oh, you can't see it unless you go into my body surgically and then you can scoop it out and there's no treatment otherwise. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty cool. You're lucky they even do the scraping. It's true. <laughs> Ernie's inability to perform has left Rose feeling unsexy, something Dorothy went through with Stan. They tried therapy, hypnosis, aphrodisiacs like oysters. Nothing worked. 
They went without sex for two years before Stan got things working again. His cure was a blonde flight attendant who had a butt so good, the 40 years spiritual leader Gandhi was celibate would have been left in the dust. The girls, of course, have their own suggestions. Blanche thinks that she should just dump him. Dorothy thinks they should go to a therapist. I think Ernie should go to a therapist of his own and figure out what mental blocks might be the cause of this issue. Then, once he's able to communicate his wants and needs and abilities in a mature manner, then he could earn his time with Rose. Scientifically speaking, there are only estimates as to how many penis-having people suffer from erectile dysfunction. Healthline.com had a 2018 study which showed that it may be one-third of the population— Globally, though, the issue can range from just 3% to nearly 77%. ED is on a spectrum. For some men, it means that they can't get any kind of arousal without medical help. For others, it can be situational, like with my friend. So in all, about 50% of men will have it happen at some point at any age. Although an increase in age does cause an increase in occurrence. A normal range of performance issues is about 20% of the time. If you start to experience issues more than 50% of the time, you need to go talk to your doctor. Rose is hesitantly on board to talk to Ernie about counseling, says the counselor. Blanche has a suggestion of her own, but Dorothy doesn't want to hear anything about whipped cream or cherries. After a frustrated pause, Blanche suggests, of all things, patience. That Rose should explain that she cares about Ernie enough to wait until he is ready to take the pressure off. Why, if anyone married to an Englishman can be as patient as they are, Rose can do this. I don't think there's anything to Google about that, just that British men are maybe not known for being the most passionate lovers. Does that seem like a fair guess? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> the potatoes of the bedroom, if you will. British slam! Dirty bastard! Tea? With that in mind, Rose is off to call Ernie and talk about this hot topic. Trading places with the swing of a door, Sophia is back, and she's off to take care of Sonny. And she's informed Dorothy that should she not return from this mission, his address is on the table. Still in denial or unwilling to believe her pathologically lying mother, Dorothy wants her to say this is all just a joke. She says it, but when Blanche takes a phone call and learns it's Tony the Hook, they are both soon feeling more concerned that this could all be real, because Tony the Hook certainly is not Sophia's butcher. At some sort of blurry signed bistro, Rose and Ernie are enjoying their dessert after a fancy dinner. Her souffle, or baked egg dish, is a poofy treat that can sometimes have issues rising because of eggs, not blood flow. She hates when she can't get it to rise. Changing gears, Ernie starts talking and says that they must be having a dinner so that she can break up with him. That seems awful. I don't think I've had a breakup convo with a serious relationship take place out of the home. I cannot imagine sitting through an awkward dinner just to get to that. Feels evil. Rose didn't ask him out to dump him. She actually asked him out for the opposite reason. She wants to express her desire to be patient for him. In fact, she can prove how patient she is by waiting for him to think of someone more patienter than she is. I like to think I'm pretty patient, mostly and perhaps with children exclusively, as any other mildly annoying task can make me feel like lighting things on fire. Coco, do you think that you are a patient person? No. And I don't have time for this. 
no, I'm learning patience. Uh, I, 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 I think you've up, gotten much better at thank patience. Thank you very much. I, it's something I try to do, and I try to really more than anything be patient with myself. Oh, it's not others, that's nice. it's me. I just get I get very frustrated with myself. And the more you're patient with yourself, I bet that then rolls out into the real world. It seems to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've definitely uh my attitude is not rotten. That's right. And I would say, especially after the last year we just had with surgeries and celibacy and everything else, that you have grown in patience exponentially. I think that's true. And I'm one of the best people to ever live. <laughs> Speaking of Gandhi. And Oscar Wilde. Ernie finds it hard to believe that Rose, in an adorably bright pink peplum blouse and skirt, would want to stay together when that aspect doesn't exist. But really, she can wait. His positive qualities are more than worth being around while they figure out the sex stuff. And if that never works, they can be friends. They feel lucky just to have found each other. Going overboard with her okayness to not bone, Rose starts to lie about how goofy the whole thing is anyway. That's a trick I use to help me through my stuff, but it really only adds pressure. As Rose continues, she starts with, It's just two meat slabs breathing on each other while dense drops of perspiration explode onto their bare skin as their hearts start to race. You just, you lose your breath. You lose track of time. You lose your earring. Anyway, all of this dirty talk of noses running and mussy hair gets the two of them so heated that Ernie declares, It's time, causing Rose to desperately scream out, Check, please! The panting partners stare at each other as we transition back to the house where Dorothy, in a yellow and blue flowered robe, and Blanche, in her coffee, blue, and pink-colored pajamas, are sitting at the table. Reading the paper, Dorothy is concerned to see that a dead man floated onto the beach the night before, Reading aloud that a purse matching the description of Sophia's iconic bag was found with him leaves the audience gasping and Blanche thinking the man must have been going to a Peter Allen concert. Peter Allen was a flamboyant Australian performer. He was a singer, musician, songwriter, and all-around entertainer. Some of his more famous tunes being Arthur's Theme, for which he won an Oscar and was performed by yacht rock god Christopher Cross, and I Honestly Love You, which was sung by fellow Australian royalty Olivia Newton-John. Fun fact, Peter was Liza Minnelli's first husband back in the 1960s. He lost his second partner, Gregory Connell, to AIDS. Peter died a few years later from the same cause. He was one of the first famous Australians to be an HIV victim. Which I think means that Blanche earns an oh boy for her joke that the man was flamboyant or gay for having a purse or something like that. All of this has Dorothy worried that her mother has killed a man. Before she can calm herself down, her mother has entered the room wearing a purplish robe dress. Without even a hello or good morning, she confirms Dorothy's fears by asking if anyone had seen her purse. Distraught, Dorothy throws her hands over her face, devastated. Her mother is a murderer. When Sophia says she may have left her purse with Sonny, Dorothy tells her she knows because it's on the front page of the dang paper. The mix-up has everyone confused. The girls start blaming Sophia for Sonny's death. Sophia tells them Sonny isn't dead. This is the 80s, baby. You don't kill each other anymore. You just do symbolic stuff and then the vendetta is over. 
As for her purse, well, she did go to Sonny's to drop off said symbolic fish. As she was giving him the evil eye, she caught his eye, so she went in for a kiss of death, you know, symbolically. And then they boned. He called her incredible, and before we can learn of why Sonny is dead and why Sophia left her purse on the beach or at his house and he's not dead, we're interrupted by a very relaxed and very pleased-looking in pink Rose. Holding the kitchen door open with a very satisfactory grin on her face, Blanche knows that things have happened. Unable to keep a straight face, Rose tells them that she was able to get things going with Ernie. This news has Blanche reacting like Rose has landed on the moon. Dorothy reminds her it was just a roll in the hay. Blissful, Rose goes on about how amazing Ernie is and that this could really turn into something serious, something as good as how it was with Charlie. She would go on, but she has to get ready for their picnic date. Dorothy's bummed to not get to hear all the details of how things came to be, so her mother, who you'll recall hooked up with a stranger the day before, tells her that the mechanisms work the same, but hairstyles are different since the last time she got laid. Coming home from their picnic, a now all-light green pant, blouse, and cardigan-wearing rose, and going for a weekend with the guy's outfit of baggy mom jeans, plaid shirt, and popped-collar khaki jacket is Ernie, who you may be able to tell I don't like anymore. They are happily entering the house, and Rose exclaims how fun their day was, and Ernie wants to talk. Ernie starts out by expressing gratitude, which leaves Rose expecting an I love you. Because Rose was so patient and kind to him about his issue, he was able to overcome it and fully enjoy life again. And because things are working again, he's hoping that, since he's single and still loves her, he's going to try to make it work with his ex-wife. With a kiss of gratitude, he leaves Rose brokenhearted. Having been listening again from the kitchen, the girls join her on the couch. With her heartbreak over, Rose listens to Blanche go on about how wonderful she was to Ernie and that she gave him a gift, a gift of finding his manhood. Now that Rose is over it, she suggests that if Ernie can find wherever this manhood is, he can keep it. With that, she's off to the kitchen. But before going through the door, she stops to tell them, that Ernie was actually the worst lover she had ever had. Carrying her head high, she presumably has a seat at the table, awaiting Blanche with ice cream, Dorothy with cheesecake, and Sophia with an etch-a-sketch, because she's going to need life-size representations made. Coco, had you seen this episode? I had never seen this episode. Okay, and what were your thoughts, besides Ernie sucking? Yeah, I, I mean, when, when we were watching it, when that happened, I believe I out loud cursed his name. I think so. I, I damned him. <laughs> uh, but no, it's a good episode. It's a funny episode. I think that um, I don't really like Blanche's messaging, how it's never happened to her. Right. As though there is at the bottom of whatever the issue is. It just needs to be nudged in the right direction, so mm, to speak. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that because that's just, it's not true. Yeah. The nudge you need might is like some sort of assistance from the medical community. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't like that, but it was a very funny episode. And I really enjoyed the, the subplot with Sophia. I think that mm. was very funny. I liked that it was, I don't know if it was done on purpose, but it kind of comes off as like an opposite message. Like... Yes, you should be patient with your partner, but only to a certain degree. I know I'm guilty of that where it's I don't I I so badly don't want the other person to feel 
bad or incompetent right. or that it's any kind of issue that I'll in the past I would have overdone it to the point, like I said, I was sacrificing my own everything. And I think that that's almost the point that they make here. And and then at the very end for her to be like, he's the worst lover ever. Whereas after they had had sex, she was like, actually, he could be the next Charlie. I'm in love with him. And it's about really having your own honest opinion about the relationship at play. Not, am I doing the right thing? Am I being a good person by being patient? While maybe ignoring red flags about him talking about his wife or things of that nature. It was kind of a, a lesson in what not to do. In a good way. I think so too, yeah. When it comes to taking a lover, sex may or may not be important to the relationship. What is most important to having great sex, good laughs, and a long, healthy relationship is communication and honesty. Even if the wiener is working, it might not be doing the job. What are you going to do? Just lay there and wait for it all to end? Or do you talk about what you need or like or want? Feeling secure enough in a relationship to be able to talk about these things without feelings getting hurt will make for good fun for everyone. It's okay. The cooler you are about it, the cooler your partner will hopefully be. And remember, you have fingers and a mouth. They ain't broke. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when Dorothy gets caught up with a passionate piglet in Love Me Tinder. Directly due to meningitis, the legacy of an attack of tertiary syphilis. Oh. What does tertiary mean? And oh. tush? <laughs> no, I think it means like third. Oh. Syphilis makes you go mad. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> Let's see how witty this Oscar Wilde is. I've heard about him. May I move away from this? Please. <laughs> like it's a d dirty dumpster. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to stand in it anymore. Yeah. This is the, the most I've ever talked about Oscar Wilde <laughs> <laughs> or thought about him. <laughs> Terrific guy. Very witty. Shifflish. Some yellow Listerine and just. <laughs> oh, not the yellow. <gasps> Actual gas. <laughs> when does one fart end and another begin? <laughs> you almost saved that as she is incapable oh my god I won't have you disparage the good name of J. Fred Muggs <laughs> my favorite Today Show another host. victim in the all of this walked on all fours so uh, Edward R. Moreau could be on the news or something <laughs> what are you supposed to do it was a news anchor chimp Pickles also go in, go in barrels. Yep. And monkeys. And gin. I don't know that. Whiskey does. I don't know that whiskey does. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real meal? There's pork chops. I found that if I read the words I've written, it's better. And water is the essence of wetness? Moisture. Ah, Passionate piglet. A passionate piglet. Wow, what a tease. Mm -hmm. Another pig-themed episode, like baby. Oink. <laughs> that was Father Frank as a pig. What? Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always 
be my sister.